So when there's peace, you can build something. Uh, nations are able to build and grow in a lot of areas when they're not busy fighting other countries. And so David lived a life where there was a lot of war, but when he passed the baton to his son Solomon, there was peace. So for 20 years, Solomon did nothing but build. Uh, 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 Seven years he built the temple, 13 years building his house. Say, why so long? He had the city of Napa to give him permits. No, no, it wasn't in Napa, it was somewhere else. So uh, his name means peace. Now here's something else that's interesting. God makes, here's the blank, a man for the job. God makes a man to fit the job. In the book of Genesis, I don't know if anybody start Genesis in your Bible reading this year, have some of you. And so I've started, I'm reading in Genesis I'm reading in Joshua, I'm reading in Psalms, and I'm reading in Matthew. So I'm working kind of through at different places. But as you go into the book of Genesis, it'll say, and God made Adam and put him in the garden. God had already made that garden, but he needed a man to work that garden. A man gets esteem from his work. And that's why, uh, that's why most of the time, uh, a woman, uh, if she's got kids, if she's married, uh, someone will ask her questions. She'll say, oh, yes, my husband. Or, yeah, you know, one of my kids. And, and quickly, she'll talk about her kids or her mate. Uh, a man, what do you do? Baker. What do you do? Plumber. One word. One word summarizes their entire existence. What do you do? Truck driver. One word. Truck driver. Dash. Uh, what do you do? Electrician, starts with an L, electrician. Uh, what do you do? And that's one word too, what do you do? It, it, it's, so so here, here's Solomon. Solomon was made, get this, to fit what God had already written in Scripture. Amen. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? See, this book has always been. And by the time Solomon got born, his name was already in the Holy Scripture. He was the guy that was going to be created to fit the spot to build that temple. That's wonderful. And so uh, God, God has a job for every one of us to do uh, as a Christian, uh, as a family member. And when it's a good fit, we are fulfilled. So he fit the job. That's background quickly. Let's look over into 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11. And we're going to look at just a few places just quickly. So where does, where does Solomon come in? 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, here it is. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And uh, uh, under his background there, he had, he had a dad. His dad's name was what? David. So a little background on David. He's the shepherd boy. He's the one that grew up loving God. He's the one that was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the one that had courage that when, when the king wouldn't fight the giant, the shepherd boy did, probably age 17. He was, he was the one that became a unknown to a, to a national hero overnight. He was probably the first, quote, superhero in the entire Old Testament. It was David. He had killed the giant. He's dragging the head of the giant behind him. Little kids are asking for his autograph. They're wanting to touch Goliath's head. Anyway, but so, so that's who his dad was. 
famous, well-known. His dad wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His dad wrote scriptures. What a man. What a man. That was his dad. Now, look here, though. Where does, where does Solomon come in here? Second uh, Samuel 11. And I love David. If there were any chapter I could take out of the Bible, not, not in a critical way, but, but I just wish this never happened, it'd be chapter 11. So what happens? Second Samuel 11, it came to pass after the year was expired. That means it was like the first week of January, like right now. At the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Notice the negative word, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. He had never done that before. David had always gone out to battle with the soldiers. He was always out in front. He was always involved. He said, I'm going to take the day off. I'm going to sit this battle out. I'm going to skip this one church service. I could go, but I'm just going to sit this one out. Well, he's out of of schedule. He's not in the right place. He's not where he should be. Verse 2, it came to pass in an eventide. That David arose from off his bed. Why? He wasn't sleepy because he didn't put in a good day's work. And walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Now now stop for a moment. Let's not give Bathsheba a bad rap. Uh, I've been to this area before. It is hot at night. Often people get on the roof. Uh, We read of Peter and John praying on the roof. It's cooler. They're getting out of that hot house. So here it is. She's simply on the roof. Uh, You know, that's where they dried their fruit and stuff. She probably had water that was being heated by the sun. It's late. She's going to take a bath. There's no other place to do it. Uh, Family's downstairs in the house. She's going to bathe. David's in a bigger house so he can look over into the yard. So it wasn't like she was trying to be seductive. David was idle. Back up, by this time, David had eight wives. So it wasn't like he was some single guy all lonely and looking for a wife. He had eight women in his life. Was that God's original plan? No. Was it allowed in the Old Testament? Yes. The Bible says at their ignorance, God winked at. He said, you want eight mother-in-laws? You can have them. You want eight women fighting? You can have it. You want women nagging, telling you, you forgot our anniversary again. You forgot, man, eight women's birthdays, eight anniversaries. Don't you remember our first date? I don't even remember, excuse me, I don't even remember your name. (laughs) And I'm sure it was a lot of friction and at home. Look, one marriage causes friction. And so David's got these eight women. It goes to prove if a man is not in control of his eyes and his sexual appetites, more women do not fulfill that desire. He had eight and he was not fulfilled. Just a thought. So he inquires after her and it says in verse three, David sent and inquired. Not only did he casually see something he shouldn't see, but now he asked, who is that? What's her name? Is she married? What's her schedule? Where's her husband right now? He's he's asking these curious questions. 
And they said, uh, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. She came in unto him. He lay with her. So he's immoral with the neighbor. Then look down to verse number 27. And when the morning was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house and she became his wife. And between that, she conceives. She has a child. He has a child with the neighbor. He tries to cover it up, has her husband uh, conveniently killed in battle. Sends him to the, to the front, has all the soldiers withdraw. So he's going to be killed. David didn't, uh, with his own bare hands, kill Uriah, but he arranged it. Because he didn't want everyone to know he had been immoral with the neighbor. So now uh, the child is born. He takes her to be his wife. God judges him, takes that baby to heaven. So it's starting to be a mess. But I'm just saying, that's where Bathsheba comes in on the scene. It's the neighbor David had an affair with. And so what happens next? Chapter 12, verse 25. So... She is now David's wife. Verse 24, and David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. So there was a commitment. He did make a commitment. They did marry. And he went in unto her and lay with her and she bare a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So now David is now right with the Lord. He's got some things right. He's even invited the prophet to the house. Look, rejoice with us. You know, you know we got married and we did have uh, another child uh, and, his, and his name's Solomon. And Nathan says, I'm going to call him Jedediah. So there's this closeness again. So what's that mean? God can take a bad thing and turn it into a good thing. Amen. No one is cursed forever because of a sinful action or a wicked choice. There is a way to repent of that, get it right the best you can. Memory will still be there, still a blot. It still made it in the Bible, but David moved on. We talked about failure the other day. He moved on from that. And guess what? Solomon was not cursed because his parents met in an adulterous relationship. Solomon becomes a great man used in a scripture to write three books of the Bible. So what's that mean? You could have had terrible upbringing, but that will not stop you from greatly being used of God. And so we see his background, his dad, his birth, his brothers, his mother. Here's the blank was Bathsheba. Most of the time you hear David and Bathsheba and you think there's a PG-13 movie from Hollywood or something. Then let's look in 1 Kings chapter number 1. 1 Kings chapter number 1. We're giving you a little... And all this plays into Proverbs. You say, well, where's Proverbs? Well, we're talking about who, who, who God uh, formed to write this. But 1 Kings chapter number 1. And so now David is getting ready to die. And I uh, just love this passage here. So David's got eight wives. Now he's got Bathsheba. So I think at this time he's got nine wives and so some of them had five sons, some of them seven sons, and some of them a daughter too. So David's probably got 25, 35 kids. So right now, if you can't remember your two kids' names, you can thank God you're not David. I mean, it was not, oh, I wish we lived in the Bible days. We could have multitudes of marriages. Ask David how cool it was. <laughs> David was always on the hot seat. So first Kings, look at this. 
Chapter 1, verse 5. Then Adonijah, now David is sick, he's old. We think he's, and for some reason, he just must have put a lot of miles on. He's about 70. But 1 Kings 1, 5. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith. That's, that's one of David's wives, Haggith. Know what her nickname was? Hag. <laughs> now, seriously, I mean, that's her name. Haggith. You know, if you always put an if on the end of it, it makes it biblical. What's your name? Haggith. Judith. Anyway, okay, just forget it. It's not even funny to me. So, so Adonijah exalted himself saying, I will be king. So Adonijah, David's oldest son, has a I am king party. He has a barbecue. He passes out buttons. Vote for me for king. And he's got this party because he says, obviously, I'm the, you know, I'm the oldest son. I'm going to be the king. David never told him that. Normally, he would have been the king. So they're having this party. Verse number 10. But Nathan the prophet and Benaiah and the mighty men and Solomon his brother, he called not. Sometimes you can tell a lot about what's going on by who's invited to the party and who's not invited to the party. The men of God were not invited to this I am king party. And uh, Solomon was not invited. And, and, and so the party's going on. I mean, they're feasting. They're having barbecue. It smells great. And so then Nathan the prophet, who's close to David, uh, verse 20, and, uh, and Bathsheba are talking. And thou, my king, uh, my lord, O king. They come to David. The eyes of all Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldest tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. David, you're sick. And everyone's waiting to find out who's supposed to be the next king. See, sheep don't know how to choose a shepherd. Sometimes a nation does not know how to choose a leader. We would call this in scripture secession. Secession. I think of Dr. Lee Robertson, famous preacher in Tennessee many years ago, baptized 65,000 people, had one of the largest Christian colleges, over 3,000 students. When he started getting old, he passed the baton over to the new pastor. I believe it was less than five years. They locked the doors to the church and shut down the college. He had driven it to the ground. How come? It wasn't a good secession. It wasn't a good replacement. And so we see Adonijah thinks he's going to be the next king. And then in verse 30, they said, David, what are you thinking? Even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, verse 30, saying, Assuredly, Solomon my son shall reign after me. He shall sit upon my throne. Verse 33, midway, and cause Solomon my son to ride upon my own mule. Verse 34, let Zadok anoint him there, king over Israel. So what did David do? He said, here's where my vote goes. I think Solomon is the one that God wants to to rule this nation. So he spoke up and said something. And then we see in verse 49. And all the guests. That were at the Adonijah for king party. Were afraid and rose up. And went every man his way. I wrote my other Bible. The party's over. <laughs> He's a jolly good fellow. Scram. 
the king's going to know we were here. And so, right here, secession is important. The wrong guy almost became the king. It just takes one presidential election to put the wrong guy in and he can undo what the last 10 presidents did in one week. Secession, so important. Roman numeral three. He's known for his wisdom. That's what we know Solomon for. Look in 1 Kings chapter three now. Now he's the king. 1 Kings chapter number three. And let's just notice how this happens. Looking down into verse uh, number three. First Kings chapter three. You say, well, how does all this help me? I don't care about Solomon. I don't even like his name. But we're about to be on how he got wise and how we can be wise. First Kings three, verse three. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Uh, verse four. And, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Look at this. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Now, stop for a moment. If Solomon offered one ox or one goat or a one sheep a week, that would have been 20 years. One a week, a thousand, would have been every week for 20 years. The guy was consistent. He was a giver. He showed the Lord, I love you. I'm giving back to you. And then notice, so, so did God pay attention to this? A thousand. No place in scripture does it ever say someone gave a thousand offerings to the Lord. And then in verse four, uh, five, and Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. Same place he gave, same place he sacrificed. That's where God had a dream and spoke to him. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. In other words, you get one wish. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and uprightness of heart with thee. Thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. He was humble. Now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. But I am a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. I don't know anything. Verse 9. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and bad who is able to judge this thy uh, so great a people. Verse 11, God said unto him, because thou hast asked this thing and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked for riches for thyself, nor asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I've done according to thy words. Lo, I've given thee a wise and understanding heart so that there uh, was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And uh, I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor. And it goes on and on. Wow, so what God is saying is this. I notice you love me with all your heart. You're giving to me. Because of that, I'm gonna give you some. God owes no man. You cannot outgive God. You sacrifice to God. God says, uh-uh-uh, I'm gonna dump it back onto you. And you give him, he said, I'm gonna, God just pours it on. So he gives Solomon wisdom. If Solomon had a life's verse, if you were to ask him to sign your Bible, it would have to be Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He sought God first, 
and God gave him things. If all we ever seek is things, it's all we get. You know, the world has got a lot of things. You look at all these movie stars, rock stars, the Taylor Swift, the Kelsey boyfriend, all these people and, and all the quarterbacks and, and, their, uh, 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 and the guy just went to the Dodgers, $400 million baseball contract. Uh, all this stuff, they have things. But do they have peace in their heart when they lay down at night? Are their relationships calm and peaceful? Do they get their prayers answered? Are their loved ones saved? Are they going to heaven? They're going to spend eternity with the Lord. And we could go on and on. But he's known for his wisdom. Jesus even quoted and said, Solomon in all his glory. He said, you've heard of the wisdom of Solomon. Now quickly under this, how do we know he was wise? God said it. God said he was wise. Uh, how do we know? Well, uh, he had judgment for these two immoral women. We're not going to go into it, but these two women lived together. Both had a baby about the same time. One of them, her baby passed away in the night. And they both go to Solomon and they were arguing. The living baby's mine. No, the living baby's uh, mine. Now, uh, the dead child is your. And they're arguing. They brought the women to Solomon. He said, take a sword. Hold up the living baby, split the baby in half, give a half to each. One of the women screamed and said, don't do it. Let her have the baby. He said, she's the mother. And that word got out all over town. He was so wise that the queen of Sheba came to ask him questions. The most famous queen came. And she said, that's where we get the song, the half has not been told. She says, I've heard all about your wisdom, but the half was never told me. The Bible says, when she saw how happy his servants were and the ascent that he came to his throne, what impressed her was even how Solomon walked and went up the stairs to sit on his throne. She said, it just took my breath away. I've never seen anything like this. He was a wise man. Look at this just for a second. Skip over to uh, uh, 1 Kings 4. You think your grocery list is big. Your door dash is big. 1 Kings 4.22. Solomon's provision for one day. This is for his family, his household, his servants, uh, whoever, his staff, whatever. 1 Samuel 4.22. And Solomon, 1 Kings 4.22. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour, three score measures of meal, 60 measures of meal, 10 fat oxen. Hey, 10 cows. That's one day. 20 oxen out of the pastures. 100 sheep beside hearts and roebucks and fallow deer and fatted fowl. One day's meal. One day. Spread the table. That's breakfast, lunch, dinner. 100 cows. 100 sheep. All these deer, venison. One day's food. I bet he had one, more than one chef. It's a lot of tortillas to go with that. And then we see a little bit further. Uh, look at this. It says in uh, uh, that same chapter, verse 30, Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of the children uh, of the East Country. Verse 31, for he was wiser than all men. 32, he spake 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. So notice the balance. He spoke wisdom. He wrote songs. Verse 33, he spoke of trees. He was a, a, a botanist. Uh, and then uh, he spoke of beasts. He was a uh, biologist. He spoke of 
foul and creeping things. He knew about rock concerts. Get that? <coughs> creeping things. And uh, all people came to hear the wisdom of Solomon from the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So chapter 5, 1 Kings 5, verse 10. Now he's getting into export. He's a businessman. He knows how to export. He says, Hiram, I'm going to build a temple. And so I need some cedar trees and fir trees according to his desire. Verse 11, Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures a week for food for his household. He knew how to trade. And uh, verse 17, uh, they knew, knew how to hew stones and king uh, commanded. They brought great stones, costly stones, huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. How do we know uh, he was wise? Uh, he attracted people who asked him questions. Next, his ability to design and build the temple. I think we have a couple pictures of Solomon's temple here. Seven years, 80,000 workers. 80,000 workers to build Solomon's temple. So there it is. And I mean, it's uh, cedars covered by gold. And it is just all these ornate things. Do we have another picture too or just one? Okay. Uh, there's another view there. It was just huge. Just huge. And, you know, the cows holding up uh, 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 the water and the, and, the, uh, and the fire going and just the gold. It, it was uh, just an amazing thing. Thank you so much. Give you a couple legends quickly and then we'll wrap these things up. So this is not in scripture, but legend says... Solomon was so wise, someone came to him and said, okay, if you're so smart, I want a cup of water that doesn't come from above and it doesn't come from below. He said, okay. He got a team of horses, started running them around the track and they were sweating so heavily, he just scraped the sweat off of them into a cup of water because it didn't come from above, rain, didn't come from water in the ground, Another time, someone said, here's a beautiful gem. And we know it's got holes in it, but we want to put it on a necklace. We don't want to crack it and drill through it. They said Solomon tied a little string, a little thin string to a worm. Put the worm in one of the holes. And he crawled through and pretty soon he came out the other end of that jewel with the string and they strung the chain through there, and there was the necklace. Pretty smart cookie. Excuse me, uh, that slang. Uh, 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 Solomon was a smart guy. God gave him wisdom. People followed him. He built the temple. He was wise, just wise. Now, Proverbs chapter number 7. Uh, look over there if you want to. And we're just about winding down. I don't think we'll get everywhere we want to. Uh, maybe I'll just give you the blanks quickly. But chapter 4 and verse 7. And notice this is God saying this. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7. So why is it so wise or why is it so important to get wisdom? Here's what God says. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom. With all that getting, get understanding. If, if it was in our modern language, we would say wisdom is the main thing. It's the main thing. We've got to have wisdom. We have to have wisdom to raise kids. No one's cookie cutter. Every kid's not the same. This one needs a chewing out. This one needs a listening ear. This one needs sternness. This one needs tenderness. Everyone is different. 
We need wisdom to win souls. He that winneth souls is wise. We become wise, winning souls. If we're going soul winning, that's wise. But as we witness to people, it's going to make us wiser as we interact with people and learn how people tick. We need wisdom making major decisions. Here's a surgeon. Do I operate? Do I not? Do I do it this way? Do I do it this way? Do they need this? Do they need this? What treatment? They have cancer. Should they use this, this, or this? Uh, 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 what's going to extend their life? Wisdom. We all need wisdom. All of us. And then we see just quickly here, wisdom's the principal thing. We see that Solomon wrote three books of the Bible. Well, let me just give you some blanks. Well, no, I think we're just going to wrap it up there. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. Let's pray.